Coming up on Word Matters, eponyms, when you're notorious enough to get a word named for you. I'm Emily Brewster, and Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media. On each episode, Merriam-Webster editors Amon Shea, Peter Sokolowski, and I explore some aspect of the English language from the dictionary's vantage point. We often discuss how a particular English word came to be. Was it born among English's earliest Germanic roots, or did it come from the French spoken by those Norman invasion folks, or was it a product of mashing two existing words together? Well, thanks to a question from a listener, today we're discussing that small set of words that have the name of a particular person as their source. So-called eponyms take hold when some regular Jack, Jane, or Joe Schmo somehow manages, regrettably or not, to make a lexical impression. I'll start things off. We have an email from Fred who asks about eponyms. He writes, I've always been fascinated with the idea of eponyms, the words in our language created by using someone's name. It's wild that these people, real or fictional, have had such an effect on society that we're still using these names as everyday, more or less wordage. Is there any standard to eponyms? Are there any hiding in plain sight? So often used, it doesn't register that this was once a term that referred to a particular person. And the answer is a resounding yes. Mm -hmm. There are so many eponyms that are no longer recognized as being eponyms. I have a favorite. My favorite is sideburns. Oh, yes. Everyone know the story of sideburns? There was a general, General Ambrose Burnside, who was a Civil War veteran. He was a senator from Rhode Island, also a governor of Rhode Island. He's better known for his expressive facial hair than he is for any of his diplomatic or military achievements. He had a lot of facial hair that grew on the side of his face, and his name was eventually turned around. First, these things, this beautiful hair that he had, and there are great pictures of him if anybody wants to Google General Ambrose Burnside. Originally, they called them Burnside Whiskers, and then that got switched around to sideburns. So how did it get switched I think just the playfulness and creativity of English speakers. Uh-huh. Maybe folk etymology. Basically, the idea of them being on the sides, it's just a coincidence that the man's name was Burnside. That's right. My favorite is Jehu, which was the name of a king of Israel in the ninth century B.C. How do you spell it? Uh, J-E-H-U. Okay. Jehu. And he was a famous chariot driver, and so it took on an extended meaning of a driver especially somebody who drives fast or recklessly. You would see it frequently in the phrase, drives like Yehu. Really? (laughs) Which is not really that current anymore. No, I've never heard of it. No. Another one that's also biblically based is Jonah. Jonah meaning one believed to bring bad luck or misfortune. Yeah. It was used in Master and Commander. The Bible is full of them. And Mm -hmm. it's interesting to me is when they sometimes turn around, for instance, Nimrod was represented in Genesis. He was a mighty hunter. And for hundreds thousands of years, Nimrod was a term for a hunter. And relatively recent, it's become used uh, as a foolish person. Or right. A stupid. I don't know if this is true or not, but the story that I heard was that this was probably from a Bugs Bunny episode oh. in which Bugs Bunny refers to Elmore Fudd as Nimrod because he's <laughs> hunting him, but he does so in a mocking, derisive manner. And from thence, we get Nimrod The power of pop culture. I wouldn't ask to be quoted on that, but that's what I heard. Well, that's an interesting speculation and possible for sure. Some of these are are so embedded in the language, we don't think of them as being proper names. Some of them from noble names like Sandwich. Oh, Sandwich is such a good one because, right, right, that word is ubiquitous. Everybody eats sandwiches and nobody thinks about the Earl of Sandwich. Absolutely. Do you know the story? 
He didn't want to leave the card table. Is that right? Yes. It was John Montague, who was the fourth Earl of Sandwich. He died in the late 18th century. And he was a diplomat, and he was also a notorious gambler. And the legend (laughs) is that he was gambling one night and did not want to leave the gaming table at all, sat there for 24 hours, and was ordering slices of cold beef between pieces of toast. That's how he got through the game. We don't know if he won or lost or, like, if he ended up ahead or not. But that is the legend of the story of the word sandwich. Earl of Sandwich. And there's a bunch of sort of French nobility names, I should say, family names, like Silhouette, Etienne de Silhouette. Uh-huh, yeah. And also, of course, Saad, Sadism, Marquis de Saad. And, and Chauvin was uh, the name of a character in a play, wasn't it? Nicolas Ch- Chauvin? Chauvin, so Chauvinism. Right. And then Masochism was Austrian, but also a nobleman, Leopold von Sacher-Massach, for Masochism. All of these have longer stories, like the thing about Silhouette that was so interesting is that he was very cheap. So he was this French finance minister, and he did not want to spend money. And so instead of having the painting of a full portrait of someone, he would just have an outline done. Which was kind of a a fashion in the 18th century. It became a fashion, right. right. Another one is draconian. They're actually, when you think of draconian laws as being overly harsh, and there was a person, Draco, was an Athenian lawgiver, mm. he's described as, so either a lawmaker or one who was determining what laws would exist in the 7th century BCE, and he created a harsh code of laws and just made the death penalty be for, like, everything, right? Like, a not serious crime, serious crime, just a death, 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 death. Ooh. So It's kind of like Radamanthine, which comes from the, the Greek mythology that Radamanthus was one of the three judges of the underworld. And so Radamanthine has been taken to me rigorously strict. More recently, there's Bogart. Oh, right. Humphrey Bogart, of course, you know, important 20th century actor. And when the word Bogart, it's a verb that we define as to use or consume without sharing The verb had an earlier use that meant to bully or intimidate. Current evidence of that dates it to about the 1960s. And then this consume without sharing meaning developed, and it was spread with the help of the Easy Rider soundtrack. The movie Easy Rider came out in 1969. Don't bogart that joint. Was Humphrey known for this? I don't know. I think it's because he had a distinctive manner of smoking a cigarette in which he would smoke it down to the very end. Uh listening to Word Matters. I'm Emily Brewster. We'll be back after the break with more eponyms. Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. 
Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. I'm Ammon Shea. Do you have a question about the origin, history, or meaning of a word? Email us at wordmatters at m-w.com. I'm Peter Sokolowski. Join me every day for The Word of the Day, a brief look at the history and definition of one word, available at merriam-webster.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more podcasts from New England Public Media, visit the NEPM Podcast Hub at nepm.org. Emily, in response to the original question, there, there are no kind of guidelines for eponyms, are there? It's just if a word takes on significant use, it becomes a word. That's right. It's a legitimate way of coining a word. It just has to catch on. It has to be evocative. It has to be something that people take a shine to and want to apply it. That's all it takes. Right. It seems like a lot of times the ones that are kind of buried in plain sight, so to speak, are the ones that come up in, in technology or sciences. Tarmac, for instance, comes from MacAdam, which was taken actually from the name of John McAdam, who was a Scottish surveyor in the 18th and 19th century. So sometimes they change a little bit as well. There was also, of course, some less savory terms like guillotine. And it was guillotin was the name of the doctor who recommended this instrument, <laughs> this machine, during the French Revolution. And the idea, of course, is that it was very democratic. At the time, a beheading was, of course, restricted to the aristocracy. And non-aristocrats had much less pleasant executions. <laughs> I can't believe we're talking about this, but... The idea here was that all of the condemned would have exactly the same treatment if they went to this machine, and they did, as we all know. Right. And then there's also Lynch. Oh, right, right. Lynch has a grim origin. In the late 18th century, the Captain William Lynch, who led a vigilante group, and they executed opponents of the American Revolution. And Maverick was a, a farmer, is that right? Yes. And we've talked about him before a little bit. He was a Texas lawyer in the 1800s, and somebody tried to pay him once in cattle rather mm -hmm. than cash. And he was really annoyed. And so he just let the cattle roam. And <laughs> these unbranded cattle were called Mavericks. And then eventually, like someone who just goes against whatever the consensus of good behavior is. Sure. And what about Ritzy? Oh, yeah, Ritzy. R-I-T-Z-Y, Ritzy, and that refers to the hotelier of César Ritz uh, in Paris. Right. It's a famous place, and it's where Marcel Proust went for his dinners, and Coco Chanel lived there, a famous address in, in Paris. But, of course, the Ritz then became a kind of a chain's name, right? The Ritz-Carlton, I think, still exists. That makes me think of Caesar salads. Oh, of course. Right? And that was also right. a restaurateur or a... It was. Yeah. Caesar salad comes from an American or Italian-born restaurateur, Caesar Cardini, died 1957. So a different Caesar than the Caesar who, the eponym of C-section, Caesarian section. And there were a couple other food names. Oh, yeah, names, that's like, right. Like Cobb salad is Cobb, another one. Cobb was also a name. Right. And Melba toast. Peach Melba, Peach Melba and Melba toast, both right. from the opera singer, right? Yep. And then there's also graham cracker. Of course. And this that's is a local, local story. Yes. That's a local connection to us here in Western Massachusetts because his name was Sylvester Graham. He lived in Northampton, Massachusetts. In fact, there's a restaurant called Sylvester's, and the restaurant, the brick building on Pleasant Street in Northampton, is apparently where he lived and developed his particular kind of flowers. He was a dietary reformer. 
and he wanted people to embrace clean living by eating <laughs> good foods, and so he came up with this kind of flour. We all have graham crackers to this day because of his name. They're essential for s'mores. There we go. What happens is when these terms become standard food terms, then we think of just the food and not the origin. Right. It's kind of amazing how many there are. They span all of literary history, right? They go right. back to ancient gods and goddesses and characters, and, and then also and, I'm sure we're getting new ones right now. I think in a lot of cases you don't want to see yourself turn into an eponym. Oh, I think there are so many good ones, though. I mean, the food ones are kind of unequivocally positive. So if you're going to go for being an eponym, because also the word refers to the person that the word is named for, right, that's a right. less common meaning of the word eponym. If you have an ambition of becoming an eponym, go for food. I like that's... that you're framing this as a public service guide. So you're going to be an eponym. Here's what to do. <laughs> Aim right. for food. And Stay uh, away from social matters. And not and public executions. Right. Don't kill too many people. <laughs> Let us know what you think about Word Matters. Review us wherever you get your podcasts or email us at wordmatters at m-w.com. You can also visit us at nepm.org. And for the word of the day and all your general dictionary needs, visit merriam-webster.com. Our theme music is by Tobias Voigt. Artwork by Annie Jacobson. Word Matters is produced by John Vosey and Adam Maid. For Peter Sokolowski and Amon Shea, I'm Emily Brewster. Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media.